Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about your fertility program for 2023. Our spotlight will look like look at a way that you can help your local fire department get grain bin rescue equipment. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the history of the UW Rex for fertility. Cool beans, that's Courtney, we'll have some current events, and we'll wrap things up with a feel-good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everyone? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilties out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, <clears throat> all with Tilth Agronomy. Seems like once a week we're just getting some sort of weird snowstorm. This week was lovely with the real heavy, wet ice and snow mix. It was fantastic. Many areas got a lot of rain, a lot of snow. It was quite the treat. It's a great way to spend my 39th birthday <laughs> just breaking shoveling. my butt, shoveling heavy snow. Just, just getting the snow it, it was an aggressive and, shovel. Yeah. It yeah. was. The snowblowers worked better than I thought, and even pushing it, it kind of like, I don't know, condensed well, but it was a different snow than what we're used to. Yeah, it was the the lovely wet layer on the bottom that you felt like you were just like moving through water as you were handling the snow. Matt, Max is the usually the arbiter of this, but usually we have like eleven seasons. I think it is in Wisconsin. Right? Yeah. What are we in now, so Max? Do you know, like where we're at, like is third this, winter. Yeah. Is this yeah, probably. I'd say it's third winter. Yeah, I'd say it's third winter. It's not warm enough to be second spring yet, or third spring. <laughs> so we hit one of the springs. Yeah, we did. Remember when we remember when it was like fifty degrees for a couple of days and we lost all our snow. That was yeah. like first spring. That's yeah, spring of deception, right? <laughs> it, it is nice that temperature wise, it's staying warm enough that even with the snow, it's not going to hang around on the roads and stuff. Right. I mean, we got enough snow on the grass and everything that it'll be around, but. Like yesterday, I didn't even bother. Was it yesterday or the day before? We got that. It was, an, again, like ice like layer. Like sleet. Yeah. yeah. Then snow. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother because it's warm enough today. It'll and melt. it melted off. And yeah. it was sunny yesterday. So in right. the blacktop, just sucked that in and yeah, the, melted. We were watching the uh, the roof ex- evaporate water yesterday from the office. Looked like the looked like the barn was on fire. Yeah. It wasn't. The, the weatherman had quite a week, though. I feel like they... Not that I didn't watch much weather, but before that big storm last week, you watched it a lot, and then yeah, so now you seem to care what a Luke Sampy or Phil DeCastro has to say about things. And oh no, I still don't. It. Yeah, because <laughs> we were supposed to get snow. Was it Wednesday night? That really accumulated into yeah, nothing, nothing, except for it was early early morning hours, like that sleet. Well, the one there was one fr- a Friday into Saturday after the big storm, and that was wor- that was like a three-inch fluffy snow. Yeah, that was right. That was that like was a Hollywood It was type. totally unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I think some of these... Are they weatherman, Max, or meteorologists? Uh, I don't know. You have to... Each one is different. Some of them are weathermen, some of them are media, meteorologists. I didn't know that. I just learned that this year. They're weather predictors is what they are. Oh, they're they're not the weather. They're the they're predicting predictors. of the weather. 60% of the time, <laughs> it doesn't work every time. So you're predicting, though, it is third winter. Like, we're not in second winter here where we're, like, getting tricked. I mean, we're getting tricked, but, like, we shouldn't be tricked too many more times. So after third winter, it's mud season. So that's what's next. It's, it's already muddy out there. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing is that with that wet snow. Because I saw a lot of people 
complaining like, oh, we should open the snowmobile trails. It's like, no, I don't think you realize how wet it is underneath well, all that. Well, there's not much frost. It's all there. slop. Yeah. 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 It's not, this is not, it's, de- it's deceptive in that it looks like it's a normal winter covering. E- even that snow but, is weird that there's not much to it in that where they did open trails. Like, it was trashed within a day almost, it seems. It, and remember, it is March now, so like. Right. The sun is definitely at a different trajectory. It feels warmer. Yeah, most even, people don't take that into consideration. Even like in the that, morning, that like, the sun changes the trajectory. They don't realize like how big a deal that actually is. Right. Well, how many more days, like hours of sunlight we have? Yeah. It's yeah. actually light out in the morning when you wake up now, which is or just a little after you wake up, where it isn't like pitch black. Well, so one of the I saw on one of the social media, somebody posted like they always do that, like thirty days till. Seven oh, o'clock sun, yeah. sunset and all those kinds of things. And we're only, yeah, we're only like 25 days to a seven o'clock sunset. So, well, we'll have daylight savings. Yeah. Too, which will change. I got, uh, I got my official report off Lake Winnebago. Done fishing for the year. Done. Ice is no good. Oh, really? It's yeah. Not. I put a truck in yesterday. Ooh. Ooh. You did? Not me. <laughs> and not. There have been a lot of vehicles in this year. Not the other guy who you work with, but it was 100 feet in front of him. And he called me, and he's like, I think we're done. I think we're done. I was like, because we were talking about trying to go today, maybe sometime. And he called me last night. I think we're done. I think we're done. So, yep. So what what happens when a truck in front of you goes in? Do you find a different way around? around Uh, What do you do then? You find a place to go, and you get there quick. Um, Yeah, you don't go where he just drove. Right, you don't go straight. No. You, uh, you, but, I, but you usually want to get off pretty quick so, after that. Like just nose in or in in? Nah, nah. In. It's in the bottom of the lake. Oh. Ooh. Yep. It's, it was in. The picture I saw of it sinking, it's, it's in. It's, it's, all, it's all the way in. So do, are you able to get out fast enough? I would assume yeah, so. Yeah, usually it doesn't sink that fast. On, uh, Trucks don't actually sink that fast. No. No. Was it a new truck or an old truck? An old Suburban. What do you get, what do you get fined? Like is it or to pull it out or what's? The, I don't know how much it costs. I'm not, depends I'm ho- how deep the water is. I'm never gonna find out. Well, like that, they're never gonna be able to pull out out of Winnebago ever. Right? Oh yeah, they'll get it out uh, there. It's oh, gotta yeah, come out. Okay, no, I you can't leave it in there. Well, yeah. right, I just didn't. Okay, I didn't know. They, it has they, to come out. Right, so they do. It's not rain. a choice. Okay. If it might be after melt and they yeah. get like a cra- boat crane or something yeah. in there, but they'll get it they'll out. Get it out. And that guy will pay a lot of money right. to get it out of there. Right. Yeah, I don't know how much it costs, but I'm going to guess it's not cheap. Yeah, it's cheaper to go in by shore, I would guess, than where he went in. Dumb question: Is there any oil or fuel left in that vehicle? I'm I'm sure there is now. I mean, I, does it leave at the bottom of the lake? Depends how leaky the system was. Yeah, <laughs> on a '99 Suburban, I'm going to guess pretty leaky. Yeah, so there's there's probably some contamination there already. But that's why you can't leave it down there is because of... Right. To leave it till all the yep, oil right. and gas comes out of it. I'm trying to find the the uh, sunk ice and dive page. Yeah, they have a lot of good videos on how... I was showing a guy actually at a conference. In, you were, when we were at Minnesota. I showed the guy from California. Like they, He was amazed at the idea that cars went through. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's been happening quite a bit this year. And then I showed him a video of them pulling a car out. He's like, it just like blew his mind. <laughs> yeah. So there's like one guy, one dude. He's like the dude for pulling car. I mean, I'm sure there's others, but this guy is the dude. It's called Sunk. Sunk, question mark, dive and ice service. Yeah. Where's he so, located? I think Ashka, Black yeah. Wolf. Is that what he says? But yeah, he, I think the video I showed was at a Poygan. Like they go to a bunch of lakes and pull 
guys out. Yeah. This article is the best. Tow truck companies don't like to speculate on the price. So I'm sure it is one of those deals oh, yeah. where it's like, yeah, it could be a lot. But it says buck could cost upwards of 10 grand. Ooh. Well, you think about it. Like, obviously, the ice conditions weren't safe because your vehicle went in. Now they're pulling it out, so there's a hazard factor. Yeah. They actually have to go in the water to hook up to the, to so it's like a yeah. diver. You like need dive, sure. you need certifications. You need like there's mm-hmm. probably a whole lot of add-on type things they can throw at you depending on like I said how deep the water is and where the amount of time it takes to get it out. Because two, it filled up with water as it went down. That's why it goes slow. You know, it's got the water's got to push all the air out. Yeah. So it's heavier than it was at at the bottom of the lake. So great success. Lots of lots of mitigating factors there that keep adding that price up. I wonder like was Jake from State Farm there with you? He was waiting for him on shore. How's, yeah. how's my coverage for hitting yeah. wild animals? <laughs> What'd you hit? A walleye. <laughs> yeah, he pinned a sturgeon to the bottom. <laughs> now he's got a fine from DNR <laughs> for harming a protected fish it's, out of season. Yep. Just just not great. So find a different way to fish, Max. Might be time to invest in the ice fishing uh, hovercraft. Oh, yeah, those those are interesting. Yep. How but often it, are UTVs going? Because like, some of the size of them now are getting, getting pretty big, but you never hear about any of those going in. Do they just, are they light enough and distributed n- enough? That? No. I mean, the reason trucks go in like so many trucks go in is because guys can't wait to get their truck on the ice. Like, oh, yeah. you can't, and, and like, they don't know when they should be off. Like you yeah. I mean, they just push the limits. Yeah. There's way more trucks on the ice than there are UTVs. That's why true. That's way true. more. Like, it's not even close. So it's kind of the same concept you get with, uh, those guys that always end up getting rescued off of ice flows in the Bay. Yeah. Is like they tell you not to go out there, but then the guides they need to make money, so they're like, "Oh yeah, no, it's fine." It's they don't know what they're talking about, and then they end up it getting rescued. It. Yeah, you could try it if you want, but I would recommend no. staying off no, for the rest of the year. I think Lake Winnebago is probably ah, just strap some pontoons to that bad boy. You'll be fine. Airboat, get a trolling motor for your suburban, and a couple of pontoons you could fish all season long. Airboat, I'm telling you, it's the way of the future. It does, I feel like that would be a good solution. One of the guides in Green Bay, he does all. I've seen him on the ice before, he, even up in like Little Sturgeon. Yeah, so you the same guy, he does a lot of the rescues when they come out sure. because he bought an airboat to take clients out so that he can fish a lot longer. It's you, a good idea to just buy the boat they rescue you on. Yeah, so <laughs> he gets paid guy. for all the yep, rescues. Then you can rescue. Yes. Yeah. That's a great plan. He's nothing if not an entrepreneur. Need those too, though. Yep. <laughs> I, I fished with them. We caught fish, so I wouldn't. We didn't need to get rescued in the airboat either, so I'd call it a success, successful day. All right, ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. So we've talked about in the last few weeks here sampling, things to consider when you're looking at managing your fields. So now let's talk fertility. So. It's 2023. Fertilizer prices are lower than they were a little while ago. So there may be room, depending on if you booked all your fertilizer already, 
to maneuver possibly some cheaper fertilizer. But it also depends on when the co-op you work with stocked their fertilizer because their prices may not reflect the market values. So first thing to think about is variable rate. Are you going to do it on your farm? If so, do you create zones for variable rating or are you sampling on two and a half grids, one acre grids? What are you doing to prepare your field for that? If you're going to create zones, what are you using to create zones? Good yield data, Varus, EC, EM38. You know, how, are you, how are you managing that? It's a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions. It's a complicated <laughs> issue. It really is. So variable rate, usually, you know, what are you guys doing on farms? If somebody says, I want to variable rate my fertilizer, where do you start? I, I think you're bringing up a very good point, though. It isn't, it's a, it's very much a journey right. along that. It is not a, it is not just, and when they use the word fertility program, the word programs quite well too, because there's, there's a whole plan in with it and where you're trying to get to, what your goals are, what you want to do. So I, I agree with you is what your question here is, where do you start? And probably the easiest way is just make sure you just start with soil tests, start with five acre grid soil tests, start somewhere that you can, um, you know, platform up probably two and a half to five acre grid soil tests is a good start. Cause then, you know, basically where you're at like that's just creating a baseline is really all your soil test is doing this is what you've done this is where you're at with your fertility levels and that's sort of the the baseline start it's a fantastic answer todd i i have met with a person that said i have i've never done soil tests before i want to do variable rate that's said, a big jump Whoa. and i said why don't we let's let's pull some five acre grids first and let's just kind of see where we're at let's start there We've never done anything, but we want a variable rate. Yeah. Wow. Well, or that's... that I've had that where you mean, well, I've got all this yield data, so I don't need soil tests. And I'm like, mm. that told you what, you know, the yield was and maybe what you removed in some ways, but it is no bearing on where you are starting and, and where do you go from there. Like, I just, I think it is such an easy foundational thing of where do you start? It's with, with that. Like, that is. Number one, and I don't want to say you don't overthink it, but you do what's right for your budget probably is the best way to say it. Of like, well, can I do two and a halves or fives or ones? What should I do? And we t- to go back to our past episode where Bill talked about yep. that, but a lot of that has to do with look at what it's going to cost you and w- what you're willing to, what your budget is for this, and that's a good spot to start. Well, and doing the five-acre grids also gets you a good sense of the variability in the field too. Like some candidates, right, aren't even no, eligible. Like know. this field isn't. It's either too low, too high, all the same. Whatever it is, for why would we do variable rate? It's not a candidate for variable rate. So if you do five acres and you go, yeah, there's quite a bit of variability. Maybe we need to do more samples to zone, hone in on our zones. That's a good way to start your five-acre journey. 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 Yeah, and it is a journey. It's not... Don't it's stop. not as simple as just saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to variable rate because the co-op guy said they've got a machine that can do it. Like, great. Let's let's back up a few 10 steps or so. The other good way to say on the journey is when we started variable rating 20 years ago, I remember when Jeff got his first GPS, you know, soil test. That's how we started doing it. And you said, like, oh, you know, well, variable rate for, you know, either basically forever 
or we actually thought at that time too, will variable rate so much that the field will be like exact. Yeah. Like we really thought yeah. that. Like we we legitimately Max, we really thought that. Like we'll do this for like ten years and then our whole field will be like the whole all the same numbers. Like and then we'll just be done with variable rate. And, and we'll that didn't work? It, it did not. Um, to the almost to the point of where we would think like our growers would be like you guys are on crack. You guys have no idea what you're talking about because we're doing this variable rate and it's not changing the fields. Like at least that was in my brain, like thinking that I, my clients were going to think that I'd have no idea what I'm doing because <laughs> variable rate was supposed to, you know, clip the top ones down and bring the bottom ones up. So you're, it, it so it should be tabletop. And, yep, yep. And yep. your yields are the same. Hey, on, pa- on paper, like yes. that is what it should do, right? Right. right. So that's the other part is, while you're on that journey, you got to look back at like, okay, yes, this is a, a long journey. And maybe like even variable rate, I think I've learned you, there's some fields in some years that we don't need a variable rate there. You just put a, a flat rate on and you go with that. And there's some years where it's like, okay, we're going to really vary the rate to try to pull out some of that variability or change it a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a, as needed basis and kind of like you said in your whole program and journey. Well, and like Bill said too, when you think about fields of variable rate, like variability is only one aspect of it. Sometimes there is way too much variability. Like you run that wreck and it's like, oh, just have to put like two tons of potash out per acre. That's 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 good. That'll right. that'll make sense, right? Okay, that's a little bit extreme, but you know, I have seen ones where it you know it's very high rate. You know, maybe it's a half a ton of potash on a field, and it's like, okay, that's maybe what it needs, but it's also not going to be financially sound to say, hey, let's put this out there. And I don't know where you guys sit with this on running wrecks, but I I think as an industry, we, as tilth guys in general, we run a wreck, meet with the farm, show them, and then change it, usually at least once. I mean, some of them are like, okay, this makes sense. But if you don't ground truth it that way either or, or check with your budget on what this right. is going to cost you and all that, because I've had it too where guys didn't realize what it was going to cost them, did it, and then were like, well, I'm never doing that again. And that wasn't the right answer either. And what I see industry-wide too is where some of these wrecks, guys just make them, you know, it's it's right. It, they make them, they spread it, and then the co-op just says, well, here's what we did, and like, there's no, there's got to be a step in there where the farmer looks at the maps and says, yeah, this makes sense, or not, and I'm sort of this, the, that they at least okay it. I don't think this is just about variable rate. No, you're right. I, this really goes for, for, any, for everything, because I give recs a lot, you right. know, and most, most of the guys I work with who like to change the recs, they get theirs early because they know we're going to change them six times and debate price and we're going to change suppliers. But all the late night infomercials say, set it and forget it, Todd. (laughs) Yeah. And your job as an agronomist isn't to like be a mind reader to think how much money that your grower wants to spend. Like, Oh, this guy doesn't want to spend money. So I'm going to give a lower rack. Like, no, you got to give the rack that it is. And then they can decide, Oh, yep. That sounds good. Potash is low. Let's spend the money or now potash is really high. Let's, back that off 50% or whatever it is. I, I've made that mistake before too of like, oh, you know, like just assuming that this is what the grower would want to do. And he, and then he's like, well, this is it? Like, no, this could be more. Well, why didn't you give me the rec then? And yeah. 
the rec is a good word. Too. I mean, when we say these nutrient recommendations, I mean, the word recommendation is right. just basically a proposal of something we should do, like a course of action. It's not a... So, so what we're saying is, like, here's our idea. Let's beat it up and make sure we come to an agreement. It, and that's the part I feel like sometimes we use nutrient recs like there's some sort of gospel of like, well, no, this is what I got to do. And an agronomist shouldn't like get all offended if a farmer's no. like, well, what? You know, like questions their rec. Like there's other things that the farmer's thinking about that goes into the backside of that rec of cost and timing and... Trying to get it spread. Yeah. Like just plain and simple guys who it doesn't fit in the co-op they're always waiting so then they try and do the buggy so they're doing it themselves so we can't do two passes because they don't have time to do the buggy twice or all sorts of stuff that goes into it that's not not just punching in the snap and going yep makes sense you know you gotta you gotta have it think about that like this doesn't talk to variable rate but think about we do have some probably smaller farmers that still run buggies like if you got a decent amount of fertilizer to put out and they got to run 10 buggies 10 times to fill like that's a lot of time right to run yeah. that baby out not to fill it but then run it out then wait for it then wait for a tender like yeah max you're right like there's a lot that goes into getting that fertilizer from the bin to the ground it's not just we need 150 units that's like the simplest part of it it, it gets exponentially more difficult and more nuanced after that well this is all p and k it's fine but now Let's add N in the equation. Say you want right. a variable, you variable rate your nitrogen. So first question for me is, are you going to test it in season? Are you going to see what, what's in the soil? Because to me, I mean, we can do it. Yeah, you can flip the switch and make the it variable rate throughout the field, but shouldn't you know where you're starting and have at least some idea of what's what's there or just just wing it? Because that is a moving target. The reason there's silence on the rest of our end is... <laughs> we don't know where to go with this. Well, and we've no, been working it, at this since... I mean, the real answer, we've been working since 2007 when we did when we bought that SPAD meter, which yep. is like a chlorophyll was meter. Was that 2007? It was 2007. When we did the... When John Deere John had Deere that. had this OptiGrow system. That was actually... Yeah. Well, we did those. Oh, it was way ahead of its time. Yeah. And I, honestly, even if we brought that back, I bet you it would still be a good... Like, so I actually saw someone the other day talking about a spad meter. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah. So basically, they took like aerial imagery with an airplane, airplane, and then they put it on a. And this is how old it was. It was on like an iPack, like those. Yep. I don't even know what you call those. Like anymore. a like compact. Yeah, like PDA. PDA, like yeah. those yep. things. Nice. Had like an external GPS, and then it hooked into the spad meter, and then I had to like I was. You were the guy, yeah. Yeah, that I, for Bill, Nathan, and Jeff, I had to walk all their fields and do the hand checks on them. (laughs) So you basically get this, like, pretty map online, and then you pulled it up, and then you put GPS points in the spots where you wanted the ground truthing to go. So you'd put, they wanted some in the green and some in the red, and then you'd go and you'd hit the spad meter, and then you'd click the number it would click the number right it would right. automatically it would, pop it to, in you had to click like 15 plants in that, that area and, and then the number would shove back in the computer and it was supposed to give you a rate and three quarter and then you had to do tissue samples too to no, make that the tissue samples we did oh we did i thought right, that was part well, of it like it wasn't part of it we just when i got to some of these spots it was like well this isn't nitrogen at all right this we is, think you just assume that every time it was red right hey we the nitrogen, the nitrogen we did that too my second summer here with um, Rapid Eye, there was Marvac, Mavericks. Yep. When yep. we did Mavericks that summer, 
That's the way we ran it. Yeah, think about like with Jeffrey Mavericks. Yeah, even when that's we did way those MRTN plots, we used the Green Seeker. Yes, and did some of that, yeah. which is a but different type. of... You did a whole thing on like the statistics behind we, yeah, how many we, times it wasn't nitrogen. No, it was like sixty percent of the time it wasn't nitrogen. Yeah, so it was. Oh, I remember. Yeah, when like, I when we did Mavericks, I the, remember the best one was when you found like the the rootworm beetle scoring yeah. the leaves. Like it was red because the rootworm beetles. There was these were random. Hammering. Three dots in the middle of the field that like made no sense. And they were they weren't huge, but they were probably half acre. Like what are what like the rest was green. You get to these spots and it was like a rootworm beetle orgy. It was just nuts. <laughs> they were everywhere. Like it was, it it like <laughs> Max no, is blow mind is blown. Yeah. No, I know. Like it was so that summer with Mavericks, Jeff, and I don't know how much how you guys use it, but Jeff. We did all our tissue samples that year on Mavericks maps, yeah. and we had to pull based on colors. And it was about halfway through, I was so done because I was like, "This is dumb. We're pulling. We're trying to pull samples in drown out areas. That's why it's red. Like right. it's not. Right. It has nothing to do with the night. Like some of it did, but very few. I sixty percent, I think, is probably." conservative of what was well, well so that time, what do you mean that drown out area was lacking nitrogen probably well, yeah. and and plants no, and, then, <laughs> and at that time too the idea was like we'll take these bad areas throw more n on them and it'll be better and it was like the complete not only was it not right it was the literally the opposite thing of what you want to do because you're just literally throwing like those commercials that are on the radio right now of taking 20 dollar bills and Throwing them away. Have you heard those yeah. or not? Or, or your luggage is too full, sir. He's like, oh, well, I got a bunch of these $100 bills in here. I'll just throw those away to make my luggage light enough. That's the joke of it. Yeah. But literally, we were throwing money away like because it didn't, it, it wasn't right. So that's the tricky part, I think, right. man. No, is, I. Is these, we have the tools and we, or we have some tools. They're probably still not the right tools, but we have a lot of good tools. But still, the implementation of it is extremely difficult and tough to really dial in. Can I give you my personal favorite variable rate? By like by far, when they get done putting nitrogen on the corn, and you go, "Okay, guys, so do we go with the rates that are on the sheet, or what do we do?" Well, we were doing the rates that are on the sheet, but anytime we got in a bad spot, we shifted the tractor down on a gear. I love it when guys tell me. I'm always like, "Oh." Wonderful. What rate were you going there? Oh, we don't know. You know, like, and they don't say that, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, I shifted her down because it was yellow there, and I'm always like, okay, got it. There, there's my variable rate recommendation yeah, for nitrogen right, on corn. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the whole point of this is that N is kind of still an X factor, that there's ways of measuring it and different things, but it's whether you're eyeballing it or just flat rating it there's not really a a good answer to how how well it works when you do it x y and z way and even like granular like a couple years ago was they had a, like a n program too where they would they had their formulas and they plugged in the weather data and what you had already applied whether it's commercial or manure or whatever yeah, like adapt n and yeah all those and just like how, models yeah. yeah and like we actually found on a couple farms that you could get really good yields without adding more. Like it actually was showing the opposite. Like don't go back out there. Like use this tool to hold your horses, if you will, and not just go. And we're getting good yields and not putting a lot out. I think, yeah, it's interesting when you look at the nitrogen modeling aspect of, of you potentially using that for, 
for variable rate and how many of those aren't even around anymore or you don't hear about like because that was oh yeah we're going to build in this factor you know weather we got rain we got with like take a PSNT we know what you put out for manure what you put out for this and they still couldn't really effectively hit the mark we yeah we tried that one somewhere with Jeff that's another 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 I, I, Jeff I, trial that's an episode in itself, I think, right. Matt. Is we and I'm, I agree with you. Is we could dive into the. We do need to have maybe an, like an RIP of, all the old end programs. And what do we learn from some of those? Because, man, did we, le- learn things? I th- some of them, unfortunately, I think changed because like funding and they couldn't get. Yeah. You know, it wasn't because the the actual idea was wrong. It was almost though too. You need to do. All of those that you need to do imagery, you need to do soil testing, you need to do some sort of plant testing. Like it's such an all-encompassing thing right. that I think it's extremely hard to model. Well, and nitrogen, as we've talked about, and sulfur to an extent too, is is mobile, and that's it's a snapshot in time. It's not something you can plan effectively for necessarily because it is a a moving target, a literal moving target. I, I use the term volatile when I talk about volatile, nitrogen with guys. Yeah, yeah. Mobile is the correct term. I use the term volatile to get the point across. That like the, it, It's a moving target, and it's not a moving target. Like It's just kind of creeping along. It goes up and down sideways any time. You know, a change in the weather or something like that can completely change the dynamic. So. My, my favorite of analogy is like the gas tank analogy in your car. Because it'd be like having a car but no gas gauge at all, like ever. <laughs> like you just have to sort of. Like, I had that once when the I, gas yeah, gauge broke, right. and it you broke. saved me twice. No, so like in there too, like, look, you ran out of gas twice. You didn't, it like, yeah, kind of knew. You're like, okay, I drove all this many miles, whatever. So it, it's a great. It's now with people going to EVs and all these electric vehicles, and they've got like, there's some sort of name for this. So it, it does take you one time of running out of the gas to like. I should have known the second time. Yeah, but like, if you like the first time, you're like, oh, I'm at a half tank because it just sat at a my gauge sat at a half a tank, and then I ran out. It's like, oh, okay, I guess this isn't working. But yeah, think of, like if you were I, getting the best gas mileage in the world, right. I was at half a tank. For yeah, I filled up for like a while. It's weird. But I, I I've heard that analogy from somewhere else, and I love it because it is it puts it in perspective of what we're really trying to do is is all these tools are like a gas gauge, but at the same time. Well, they still only kind of tell you. And what think you're about at. like pre-sidrus nitrate test, right? Like you could take it one week and the gas gauge says this, and you take it, it the next week and the gas gauge is totally different right. because be, of the weather and how much more mineralized. That'd be like yeah, driving like on a five hundred mile trip and one one like at mile two fifty, the gauge will tell you where you're at. Yeah, but then then you, like the rest of the trip, you don't like it's just that little bit of time. So yeah, you're right. It's it is like a. All these tests help, but they're just a snapshot of that like split second of when you took it. Yep. And even if your car runs out of gas, at least you can still just put more gas in and it'll <laughs> run again. True. With plants, that's not always the case. Like throwing more nitrogen in it may not actually fix. Right. Yeah, two, two weeks after tassel, ah, seems like we're short on nitrogen. Yeah. The, the only thing that could happen is you run your tank out of gas and your fuel pump goes out too i've had that happen before yeah usually it's not the first time though that's, no that's, that's after a few times but like it's true to like corn runs out of gas right it's probably affecting yield yeah, at that point the, right and it's hard to get that in into the plant and re- rescue applications are not like like calling your brother with a gas can is not usually work as well like your fuel pump is out like right you're you're 
there's times where, yeah, we can get the end in there and do it, but not all the time. No. All right. So other thing to consider when you're looking at your fertility program, banding. Are you going to ban the fertilizer, broadcast, um, ban some, broadcast some? How are you managing that? And, you know, and Matt, I think that banning question, does that change the price of fertilizer? Because I had a lot more people discussing banding nitrogen. When banding, fertilizer was high. When fertilizer was high. Sure. To try to get more efficient use of it. No, we should anyway because it's well, all expensive all the time. But What I like is the technologies for banding have become... We got weight. I mean, some planters have two options to ban, you know, in right. fertile and citrus. And it yep. just, we've just expanded that a, like greatly, which is good. Um, we've done a lot of things to up the technology there. And I think tillage matters too. When you're, when you talk about no-till and stratification with banding, you're probably mitigating some of that if you're having issues compared to broadcasting on top all the time. So tillage is an important thing, and that's with broadcast. Is it up t- on top or up front? You know, even if you are incorporating for P and K, great. But when it comes to again that nitrogen factor, you know, maybe treating that end, even if you are going to work it in a little bit, just to make sure you've got some down the road, because that's the reason. Like we've talked about in other episodes, we went from usually putting it all up front to side dress now wide drop and. Know, spreading a lot of that stuff out. So there's there's things to consider. How are you going to make your fertilizer move through the season and be there when the plant needs it? This is uh, one of my big sticking points. Uh, we talked about it before, but uh, with especially with a little bit older planter putting on uh, banding like a solid fertilizer, time. It's all, it's yeah. time. We just can't, you know, it takes so much to reload every time and you start getting further away from the farm and it's more work. Um that's where I generally see that that we we move away from banding and go to that broadcast. Now I will say most of those guys also incorporate tillage, incorporate with tillage, so kind of kind of works out that way. But yeah, this is another that's another one of those deals. Like, uh, do you have the time for it, or do you want to make the time for it? I guess. Right. And the the payoff is it's hard to calculate how much your time versus the putting it on how much you gain. I don't. There's a lot of fudge factor in that calculation. I think. Yeah, no, I think it's just good to be aware of the limiting factors when you're when you're working on your fertility program of, okay, I'm going to do this because I don't have time, but I have to know that it may there may be issues I have to deal with or I may have to rethink how many applications I'm going to make, especially with nitrogen, to make this work effectively. And then the last thing I want to touch on was nitrogen use efficiency and fertility. Uh, we just saw... John Jones from UW kind of talking about some of that. And so looking at what he had for managing P and K and how it it can relate is that building your soil test P and K, so having good soil test values might be a good priority because it can maybe help with nitrogen use efficiency. And so that's something that um, you know, we'll keep looking at, but it's interesting to see that that connection of low fertility may mean that your nitrogen use efficiency suffers too because the pl- how the plant's reacting, how the what's available as far as nutrients for the plant and how it processes all that through the system. That's very helpful because 
I think we look too much at nitrogen, and this goes back to soils 101 of the like the lowest stave. Yeah, I was actually thing. just thinking right. about that. Todd. You know, and, and nitrogen, especially for how much we look at it, nitrogen. Like we just said, half the time in that one study we did, it wasn't the lowest stave. So, how many fields like do, do we consult on that nitrogen? Probably isn't the issue. Probably not many, right? Because well, that's what we're so focused on. Right. That's a, I think we look at it almost too much. And he, th- that's a question I always hate when you get like a, a new guy that talks to you about the first question, well, I want to get 250 bushel corn. What should my nitrogen rack be? And I'm like, if you're asking that question, you're, you're not even in this. Don't even worry about getting 250 bushel corn because you're asking the wrong question. Well, I got to be at what I'm like. You're not even asking the right question. Like you're not even in the same room with guys that know your thought process is wrong. Right? Just when's your planting date? Right. I mean, why buy? I buy my corn seed at Fleet Farm. (laughs) What What are your P K levels? Where you have that? You know, like it's just like, well, if I put that much nitrogen, I'll get that much in bushels. What's your drainage max? Oh, that's that's the best one right there. Two hundred fifty bushel on poorly drained. Well, I can just keep throwing more nitrogen at it, though. Right. 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 Like I'll, I'll, and then too, like you even try to buy your yield that way. Well, that, that doesn't work either. So, I I think um, this from UW is very helpful. Like you say to to basically prioritize P and K and have this whole fertility program. Make sure that's dialed in. Yeah, before it, you kind of get too far in the weeds with nitrogen. I think it plays into something that we've talked about a number of times for for different aspects of agriculture, but it comes. Seems to be becoming a, be becoming a theme, and that's a systems approach. Thinking about all aspects of the system, not just one. And like you said, a lot of times nitrogen is the one that people focus on. When we really got to make sure everything is on on par, so we can move to the next level. Not try to do a speed run and cheat to the next next part of it. So. <laughs> speed run. <laughs> I'll just, if I just power through with nitrogen, it'll all be fine. I don't have to worry about any of my other fertility. Is it like speed walking? Where you can't have both feet off at the ground at the same time? Well, if you could do that, that'd be amazing. If you could run with both feet off the ground. I'd like to see it. <laughs> then it'd be flying. <laughs> right. So there you go. That's fertility programs, things to consider. If you're going to do variable rate, uh, know that it's a journey, not just something you say, hey, not a store on the store shelf. I'm picking variable rate today. We'll take it home and try it. <laughs> it's can't it's o- definitely can order it right. on Amazon. Yeah, there's no prime more. shipping on that one. That's order. uh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, banding, you know, if you if you can do it, you have the time. It's probably worth doing at least some of your fertilizer that way. But broadcasting can work too. If you're not going to incorporate, or even if you are, consider treating, especially things like nitrogen, sulfur to make sure that they're there. And nitrogen use efficiency may come down to, so to help your nitrogen, some of the best things you might be able to do is keep your P and K at the levels they need to be at too. Yeah, and looking forward, Matt, we're going to, next week we're going to be kind of talking about removal of nutrients. and sort Right, of, how to account for. Yeah, how to account for removal for and just talk about some some of the things that that it isn't necessarily consistent, you know, to the book values all the time. And kind of like even throughout the field can be different, but so we'll kind that, of get into that. That was interesting. We didn't mention, but uh, since we're talking about the transition for next week, I think it makes sense is the, the last 
bullet point on this slide from John Jones was nutrient removal map similar to a yield map. Knowing your removal, like you know how much you took off, and that might be... That'd good. be better, like... Really, what a yield map the goal was is to show that part. Of right. It, but that's you're, you're assuming the same thing, but you're good. basing it off of one number instead of... Right. It's yeah. very difficult also to, to sort of assume that. So, All right. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So you have the opportunity to enter your fire department to win grain bin rescue equipment. When farmers become trapped in grain bins and other storage facilities, ending can often not be a happy one. According to Purdue University, 29 grain entrapments were reported in 2021, resulting in 11 fatalities. So with proper equipment and training, fire departments and other first responders can increase the odds of a successful rescue. Each year, the third full week of February is designated as Grain Bin Safety Week. So that was a couple weeks ago, but this year marks the 10th year that Nationwide is marking Grain Bin Safety by holding a Nominate Your Fire Department contest, which awards grain rescue tubes and specialized hands-on training to first responders serving rural America. Nominations are accepted through April 30th. Uh, You have to include a description of how the fire department or emergency response team and rural community would benefit from the tube and training and how they would share the resources with nearby fire departments. To learn more or to nominate your local fire department, visit greenbinsafetyweek.com. So another way to make you or your fellow farmers safer is to help. I know some area departments do have these things in Wisconsin, but I'm sure having more of them out there would not be a bad thing. All right, now we'll move into Ag History Minute. All right, today we're going to talk about the history of the UW-REx, otherwise, as we know them, A2809 is a document that's put out by UW. First developed in the 1960s, the guidelines for nutrient applications in Wisconsin have been revised several times, to reflect research advances, additional correlation, and calibration data, as well as shifts in philosophical viewpoints. Guidelines include MRTN, or Maximum Return to Nitrogen Tables, soil yield potentials as well. The document is intended to serve as a guide for farmers to appropriate, or a a guide for farmers to appropriately apply amounts to maximize fertilizer amounts to maximize yield and profitability. Many UW professors have contributed to the document over the years, which contains over 80 years' worth of research. This document is referenced in many rules and codes published by NRCS, WDNR, and Wisconsin DATCAP. So it's something we deal with, I don't want to say on a daily basis, but sometimes it feels that way. Which none of the researchers expected or probably wanted it to become law. Right. The but rules and codes portion is not... Cause that, I, I specifically put that in there because it's independent of is intended to serve as a guide for farmers and then is referenced in rules and codes. Don't really go together. 
what blows me away is the name of it over the years. So, like, in 1962, it was called Lime and Fertilizer Recommendations for Field Crops. Was it egg lime or lime? Just lime. It didn't say egg. You're right. Usually it says lime. Then by 1976, it changed to Soil Test Recommendations for Field and Vegetable Crops. And it was that in 1981 as well. And then 2000s. So, like, even the gap sometimes, too, to be... Between it's probably it a cha- one in the middle. It just change in professors, change in yeah. Well, yeah, the te- and what priority crops are because it didn't start with vegetables necessarily in the name, and then right eighties the they added vegetables. Field crops and then they added vegetables. Yeah. yeah, and then the 2006 it became nutrient application guidelines for field vegetable and fruit crops in Wisconsin. So yeah, it's kind of over the times changed. Really good, like, and kind of each university has a document like this. I think it's Tri-State. I think it's Illinois. One of them's combined. I don't remember which. Sure. Uh, But, yeah, they kind of all have a similar document to this out of the UW of kind of how to read your soil tests and kind of what that means going forward. And it's, yeah, I, I used to carry, like, a physical copy with me all the time. Now it's, like, a PDF on my computer that I, I'll look up. It probably every still like once a month you'll like oh what does it say there and you know look up look up about it and what do you, how do you just helps to kind of go right to the to the source really our snap plus software is kind of let's well, tied to that directly it, it's yeah. really based it's it's the software that uses this as a background you know that this is where they pulled all of that software from to, this to is part the of the algorithm. algorithm yeah yeah you just got to say that Todd it's part the of the algorithm. algorithm. For the algorithm. Nobody so, questions you. <laughs> Nobody questions the algorithm. That's why the next version of Snap Plus will be Snap GPT, right? Oh boy. It'll be an independent AI that'll tell you like you don't I don't you're not familiar with you never heard of Chat GTP. Oh my gosh. Nope. Have you heard of this bill? No, okay. It's the AI that you can chat with and talk okay. to. Yeah. Like a like it'll have a conversation. Like a um I would say it's more advanced than an Alexa. Okay. You you can make it write papers for you. Oh yeah, they've yeah. Um, Damn, where was was that yeah. Years ago? something I I saw that where they had it write a joke, and yeah, was it funny? No, not really. Was that the thing that was doing that fake Seinfeld thing? Nope, that's different. Oh, that's that a different, different AI. Yeah. They they've used, there's a number of AIs. I mean, the most famous one is probably Watson. Oh yeah, from when okay. they did the whole yep. Jeopardy thing yep. and all that. Um, but yeah, this is just another another AI out there that you can interact with and yeah. may one day serve as our Lord and Master when the machines take when over. The machines take over. Chat GPT is actually a lower sophistication AI compared to the ones that do like the Seinfeld dubs and stuff like yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Matt, for informing us on the uh, A2809 history. All we're asking for you guys out there, Thank you for listening, first off, and please tell a farmer friend about the podcast. Tell them to subscribe, and please subscribe. We All you need to do is search Tilt Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts, or on Android, download an app like Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. And you can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Just go to tiltheg.com slash podcasts. So... Thank you for already listening. You already know all this. Just please tell somebody else about it. We appreciate all of our listeners out there. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll 
move into our cool beans. That's corny for some current events. So cool beans, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. Our cool beans this week. Farmers have the first corn and soybeans in the ground. So as Ooh, of Tuesday, hey, plant 2023. Yeah. As of Tuesday uh, <laughs> in Arkansas, there was some. Corn and beans planted. So unseasonably warm in that area. They wanted to try and get a corn and bean field in ultra early to do some research, but they caught a break and on February 20th found a 28-acre field they did soybeans on and on February 22nd planted 44 acres of corn with the intentions of planting a second crop of beans behind the corn this year. So... It is. It has begun. Everyone's kind of gearing up. I know I've talked to a couple of guys working on their planners, but um, you know, for us, it'll be. We're still a little ways out. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, I mean, uh, strange things happen, and I with frost and everything, it, it'll be in an, at least another probably month, month and a half. I was going to say two, but for corn too, for yeah. corn too, yeah. But there'll be some guys with alfalfa scratching in thirty days. I bet 35, 30, 40 days. I always love this story. It just gets you like jacked up in the Midwest for when you hear stuff oh. going. I, right, knowing the planters are rolling in the south that this it's was, coming this way. This was yeah. Tuesday, right? That this happened. The article was Tuesday. The yeah, so planting was the last week, but yeah. Yeah, so I thought Tuesday was weird. My phone rang a lot more than it has the last week or so. I'm gonna guess a couple guys saw that. Saw that article. Yeah. yeah. It's time to go. Like you know, there's snow on the ground. You no, know, it's not that, but they're like you say, like as soon as you hear they're planting down salt, everybody just kind of gets. Yep, it's a new energy. Jittery. New, yep. Yeah. Jittery. That's a good good term. Man. And maybe maybe it's just coincidence, but I know like if you looked at my phone records from this week, Tuesday was incredibly more busy than every other day. Stirring farmers from their winter slumber, like oh, time <laughs> time to get the planter in the shop. Let's go. It's actually not far off from what most of the calls were. <laughs> it, do, it does feel like it just gives you that feel like like the race has started. Yeah, ours yep. doesn't start for a little while yet, but it just does that feel like spring's coming. We're the last leg of the uh, relay. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to uh, put it into that kind of terms? We're the anchor. Yep, we're the anchor. It's the powerhouse. I always gotta bring up the anchor sometimes. All right, our that's corny this week is wheat. Taking a hit as it looks like a war zone was a quote from a Texas farmer describing their wheat crop after they received a Duraco this past Sunday and dust storm. Um, So I don't know if you guys see the picture in the article here, but it's a nice brown haze. Uh, So reminiscent of the Dust Bowl back in the 30s. The winds topped 100 miles an hour, uh, which only continued to add to the fact that the two-year drought they've been experiencing is causing damage. Now growers are dealing with dryland wheat crop that could be uh, as high as 80% abandonment because of the damage they've seen. And yeah, there's some nice sand dunes and a tweet here from Jake. So that's the, the sad part of it is, yes, planting is starting in some areas, but in the Texas panhandle, specifically the area of texas they've seen um some pretty dry times and now this derecho that went through so looking at memphis texas 114 mile an hour wind yeah it's practically a tornado that's wind baby 
Just think, how many years ago was the first Duraco that we I, we never we never knew how to even say yeah. that. No, yeah, we're saying like Duracho and like yep. weird, weird, yeah. Now, now we know to respect the Duraco <laughs> and pronounce yeah. its name correctly. We know Duraco. We don't want to get on its yeah, bad side. Yeah. I am Duraco. Yo soy Duraco, <laughs> which is Spanish for I am the Duraco. The Duraco. We understand uh, your power. Too bad Farley's not here. He could. That'd be the next. Uh, yeah, Saturday Night Live. Instead of El Nino, it'd be El Dorico. El Dorico. All right, and now for our Field Good Friday, we'll look at FFA chapters, which are benefiting from Precision Egg Simulator donations. So a pair of equipment manufacturers are donating Precision Agriculture Education Simulators to 11 FFA chapters. New Holland, North America, and Raven Industries made the announcement on National FFA's Give FFA Day, uh, which was the 23rd of February. Programs that will be receiving egg simulators are in Wisconsin, Dodgeville FFA, Mosinee FFA, and Whitehall FFA. Nice. There are also a um, awesome. couple places in Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, but Wisconsin on this list, um, three out of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, ten, uh, eleven, no, eleven, sorry. So we're giving you eleven simulators, and three of them are here in Wisconsin. The rest are all uh, one per state, the way it looks here. So nice. That's pretty cool. What do these look like? like what are, What are they? Are they running farm simulator? Like they yeah, they didn't game? have a picture. I'm I'm and wondering if because you've seen the one at the Fox Valley Tech, it's like a or it's like a chair, yeah. and then they have like TV right. screens. I'm guessing something like, like that. that. Which is that thing is pretty. Cool. Um, so it actually feels kind of like you're in a cab, and I mean, but yeah, I don't know for sure. It didn't. They didn't go into details as far as what it looked like or have a picture of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, New Holland says involvement in FFA allows students to explore a broad range of career paths, and they hope to raise interest in precision agriculture technology sector and showcase the opportunities it offers for the next generation of agriculturalists. So, yeah. Pretty sweet deal. It is a pretty sweet deal. Do you guys have a precision egg simulator in high school in your, in your uh, egg classes, gentlemen? I didn't have a greenhouse. I had a right, fish tank. Came later. Yeah. You had a fish tank, like I had a fish tank and an like old. Bulk how big tank. of a fish tank? It was an old bulk tank, and then some kids dumped oil in it, so we didn't have a fish anymore. Well, that was nice of them to dump yeah. oil in it. That's not an uncommon story. The bill, the egg department bill went through versus the egg department I had it was very different. Yeah. Well, one of you had Kevin we Jarek, and one of you school, didn't, yeah. right? I had him for a year, yeah. but he didn't care about me anymore, and he'll admit that. Well, he was he, brand new. He was just trying yeah, to, like... Trying to survive? Yeah, he was just trying to turn the program around. Yep. And he yes, was, and then by the time I got there, it was, like... Turned around. Turned around, and we had a greenhouse. You had, like, and, two egg teachers, didn't you? I, there I were two, egg, yeah. I Well, right. There and there was a lot of turnover. Two at a time, but it, enough of them to, like... Yeah, I had, like, seven egg teachers over the four years. But. I had two egg teachers, and they never changed. And they still, they well, still they are well, now. Nope, they just, they've, they just yeah. changed. Both yeah. of them, actually. I had three egg teachers in four years. I had two in eight years. Seven years, sorry. Sixth grade through twelfth grade. Yeah, two. No. But, I mean, the, mine changed. You had two that I stayed the same. I had three different ones. Oh, yep. Not, not double. I just said, yeah. But, anyhow. 
It was good. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about your fertility program and things to consider as you're planning for this next year. Our a spotlight, we looked at the opportunity for you to enter your fire department to win a grain bin rescue equipment set. Ag History Minute, we talked about the history of the UW Rex. Cool beans this week was corn and soybean planting has started in the continental U.S. That's corny is wheat getting hammered by drought and derecho down in Texas. Field Good Friday was FFA chapters benefiting from precision egg simulator donations. And three of those were here in Wisconsin. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.